Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Not a long time ago, in a column right here in the tent, I shared with you my desire to find a live-bearing fish species which is commonly found in a blackwater habitat. It's been an interesting saga filled with twists and turns and punctuated by my lack of recent direct personal experience with wildlife bearers, yet buoyed by findings from research papers and ideas from fellow hobbyists. If you recall, in our last review of the topic, we did stumble on a few interesting candidates. Most of them, such as the genus Fluvophylax, which, as I said before, quote, contains five described species, not one of which anyone who is not a native fisherman, lifetime member of the American Live Bear Association, or doesn't have the letters PhD after his or her name, has even heard of, let alone seen. These are rather interesting fishes, distinguished by really large, relative to their body size, almost kind of creepy looking eyes, the absence of a gonadoponium in a male, and the usual complete lack of color seemingly common to pretty much every obscure fish in the world. Shit, that felt good to quote my own uh, article. I think it was actually pretty accurate too. I'll wager that this fish will never be found anywhere in the hobby, unless it's by total accident, the product of bycatch by commercial fishers looking for something a hell of a lot more viable in the trade. This species looks an awful lot like a killifish to me too, which is interesting. And they're apparently endemic to the Amazon and Orinoco region, including habitats like lakes, swamps, and floating meadows, and by and any and all of which could be filled with tannin stained blackwater, right? As I pointed out before, a Fluviophylax obscurum, which drew me in from the start, is listed as having its native range being the upper Rio Negro basin. That's intriguing. Now, just because it's from the Rio Negro basin doesn't necessarily mean it's the black water, but it's pretty good. And of course, the trail went cold for a bit as I moved on to other stuff, you know, launching new products, building different tanks, uh, obsessing over my brackish tanks, stuff like that. But now here we are, fast forward to 2021, we're back in the hunt. I recently received my long-awaited copy of Fishes of the Orinoco in the Wild by our friend Ivan McColgy, which by the way, just get this book. It's amazing. It's a great resource, beautiful photography, great information. Just get it. I was pleasantly surprised to see a section with some members of the family Pulsilidae, which of course uh, are live bears. More clues. And indeed, on page 278 in this must-have book, what to my amazed eyes did I see but our good friend Pocilia cf reticulata, aka the guppy. Well, specifically a variety known as the orange line guppy. Uh, this was huge. It's one that I've seen before. And sure enough, Ivan relates his sort of enchanting first encounter with these little beauties in a blackwater habitat, the Rio Morichal Lago in his native Venezuela. He described the way they tend to stay in schools in the most shallow parts of the river and that they, quote, do not venture more than 1.5 meters offshore where the water gets really dark and the larger fish live. Makes sense. That was all I needed to hear, but the accompanying photo really let it sink in. 
It was a small group of these really pretty fish in tinted waters with gently sloping sandy bottoms covered in decaying leaves, twigs, and botanical materials. And Ivan indicated that the uh, pH in this habitat ranges from around 4 to 5.5, undisputedly acidic, conditions which we seldom seem to associate with librarian fishes, right? They're beautiful little fishes, with the males possessing an unusual pinkish-orange horizontal line across the body with small, almost black markings at the base of the caudal peduncle. They also possess a smaller, less distinct black spot behind the pectoral fins. And the females, of course, are generic library issue silver gray. I've also seen these fishes on sale from various breeders listed as Campona guppies or El Salto guppies collected near Ciudad Bolivar, 50 kilometers east of El Tigre in Venezuela in the same Rio Morichal complex Ivan refers to in his book. That's super cool, right? Curiously, despite the common moniker guppy, most of the hobby listings I've seen when it comes to offering those fishes for sale indicates that they're Poscelia wingi, Campona, you know, like the Endler's live bearer. So there's a ton of, you know, taxonomic confusion here to say the least. Now, all that being said, these are very intriguing fishes to me, whatever the hell they're called. Now, what makes this particular obsession, search of mine, so alluring uh, and simultaneously frustrating is that you know, any, many of the libraries that we encounter in the trade and often in the wild were introduced from other areas. Because of their adaptable nature, you're likely to find them in a huge range of habitats from brackish water, yay, to soft water and acidic water. However, it seems to me that most of the species come from more coastal locales where the water might be maybe colored by turbidity, uh, the silt and mud and so forth, as opposed to true black water like the geeks that my, like I am are, you know, into. Of course, inevitably, after all this tedious research, I've once again found that there are, as we know, tons of cool, often obscure libraries that we can keep in brackish water estuary-themed tanks, too. So it's always fun to find those little ancillary searches as well. Anyway, back to those orange line guppies. And I say that with air quotes. In almost every research paper I was able to find which mentioned the species, it was referred to essentially as the guppy. And of course, it is. Well, sort of. Again, the taxonomy is a mess, but the range seems to be somewhat similar. Okay, that's probably a bit of a stretch on my part, but superficially it appears to be largely the same as any other Poscelia reticulata. Of course, they also call this the Campona guppy, which we'll get back to again. But here's the thing, too. Every reference to this particular variety or population indicates that it tends to be found in blackwater habitats only. There's no mention of brackish occurrences for this population, and it pretty much seems to be a given that it's a blackwater occurring population. The underwater ecology, as described in these papers and indeed from Ivan's book, includes essentially a greatest hits versions of the botanical materials that we love, decomposing leaves, twigs, tree roots, and plant parts, including palm fronds over a bed of silty, loosely aggregated sand. Our kind of place. The water's clear but tinted a golden brown with an average temperature of around 26 degrees uh, Celsius, about 76 Fahrenheit, and a pH ranging from 4 to 5.5, which, as we mentioned previously, is something that's in very essential for black water. Conductivity was around 15 to 30 microsimians, so low conductivity as well. Black water, by any stretch of the imagination. Now here's a little passage I'm going to read to you from a paper that I found on what they're calling the Campona guppy. And again, uh, that's used interchangeably with this orange line guppy. 
uh, in its natural habitat by researcher F.M. Posier. It's an example of the kind of gems that you could find online if you really dig hard enough. So here I'm going to read this to you. The river was about 150 centimeters deep with the bottom clearly visible, about 180 to 300 centimeters wide and no submerged vegetation was observed. The observation area was a stretch of about 40 meters. There were some trees and dense vegetation at several positions at the bank. The Campona guppy was syntopic with the following species. Captrion species, which I don't know what that is. I, I don't know what that is. Cap, actually, it's Catoprion. I'm not sure what that species is. I'll have to look it up. Uh, Crincicla species, of course. Cyclosoma species. Ribulus species, all of which we're familiar with. Ampularia species. And some unidentified crustaceans. The observed subpopulations, i.e. groups of about 20 adults of both sexes and about 20 subadult and juvenile fishes, occupied positions near the riverbanks. At different locations of the stream, we observed other groups with approximately 60 adults with about 50 ad subadults and juvenile fishes. The females were continuously grazing on the loamy ground, swimming in groups of 6 to 10 fishes. In this stable environment, subgroups are formed consisting only of females. So, Interesting stuff. Now think about this from a fish geek perspective. The researcher describes kind of the whole setup nicely. Even the other fishes that these guys are found with and their behavior too. So what does that tell us? You could keep these in kind of large groups. That would be interesting, right? Uh, they tend to aggregate in sizable groups and imagine the interest a large display with a nice group of these fishes could create, especially if you do it up botanical style. Sure, it's not perfect for controlled breeding, but you could have a nice stable population of some really cool fishes in a system which replicates many aspects of its natural habitat. At the end of the day, I'm feeling not only intrigued, but exhilarated to have found at least one live bird that's semi-regularly available in the hobby, which by every indication seems to come from the type of habitats which fascinate us blackwater geeks. And it just happens to be nice looking too. As I stated earlier in my epic search, I don't care if the fish is gray, chromatically uninspired, or just plain dull. I just think it would be cool to find one that could be biologically appropriate for one of our Blackwater botanical style tanks. Damn, I never tire of quoting myself. That was a good one, wasn't it? Yes, it was, if I say so myself. But really, I think this may be the one for me. I do have an empty tank lying around too, by the way. So yeah. Anyway, hope your searches go as well as some of mine. Stay focused, stay obsessed, stay creative, stay resourceful, stay geeky, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tannin.